0: The Art of Leadership Network. Um, I, I remember sitting on my couch at the cabin, and I knew what God wanted to teach me in that tunnel. It was flatness is not your identity. You're not in control, and the only thing that matters is me and Jesus and me and Robin.
1: Welcome to Leaders in Living Rooms. I'm your host, Sean Morgan, bringing you access and insights to leaders and their stories. Hey y'all, so excited to have Jim Bergen on the podcast with us, lead pastor at Flatirons Church with campuses over the North Denver Boulder County, Boulder area of Colorado. Jim's been there for almost a couple of decades, and you're gonna love him. He's got some great wisdom, some great insight. Can't wait to share this episode with you. Of course, thanks goes out to our sponsor for this. Episode food for the hungry fh.org. If you're a local church leader and you do not have a missional partner like Food for the Hungry, I encourage you to hit them up at fh.org slash churches for their partnership. Connect with Jordan Gustafson, who's a good friend. We appreciate their partnership to make this podcast a reality and many other things we do at the Ascent Leader. So without anything else from me, let's dive into it with Jim Bergen talking about how to come back from sabbatical better, healthier. And make a better impact for your church. Here we go. Hey, podcasters, welcoming Jim Bergen, lead pastor at Flatirons Church in Colorado to the show. Jim, you've been a good friend of me and an, and an ally. I've enjoyed serving alongside you in some ways at Flatirons, man. Welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thanks, Sean. Uh, yeah, uh, this uh, friendship kind of came about over the last couple of years and uh, you're coaching, you're helping me. So if I can help anybody, I'm, I'm really glad to be here today. Thanks.
1: Yeah. Thanks for being open to that. I've been tracking with you a long time over the years before you and I got to know each other. And it's been a real joy being yeah. involved in the leadership circle there. And um, I think some there's some really unique things about uh, who you are as a leader, um, a communicator, um, but that's not just main stage communication. It's naming stuff in the room in the middle of a meeting saying, this is how that sounds, or this is how that feels to me. And I didn't operate in a world like that, coming out of a military background and things. There's a real hierarchy of of chain of command, and you kind of just listen and go do in a lot of situations. And I've enjoyed that aspect of your communication and and leadership. And so it's great to be able to steward this conversation with our listeners. Um, Mm -hmm. Really, really appreciate that. One of the things that I'm seeing in trends around leaders is this idea of, of sabbatical, and I'm right. working with a lot of newer lead pastors in their in their 40s, and uh, some of them in their 30s, and maybe even a few in their 50s that have never taken sabbatical. Many of them have churches that uh, ha- don't have pastors that have taken sabbatical, don't have a sabbatical policy. Um, mm. It's a tricky word. Some of them don't know how to spell sabbatical, <laughs> so. Um, right.
0: One of the and, things and that's, and it's that's also sabbatical for some people is a kind of code word for move you towards the door. Yeah. See, there you so go. Right. Yeah. Sabbatical is a very punitive thing in some circles, you know. Yeah. And so it, it wasn't meant to be like that, though.
1: Yeah. So as leaders are th- at least thinking about it, and, you know, Carrie's done a good job, Carrie Newoff has done a really good job mm-hmm. of helping name some things around unsustainable rhythms in leadership right. and ministry that lead to burnout. Um, how to, uh, his book didn't see it coming, right. How to see those things coming, um, mm. and develop, uh, just better rhythms for, for personal. I think, you know, even if you read Pete Scazzaro's stuff, you know, he's very clear. He was in rhythms in ministry that weren't healthy for him. And he had to mm. spend years understanding what his emotional health looked like. And so I applaud all that, but I also think there's a lot of learning that still needs to happen. And one of the things that I think you can really speak to is this idea of of coming back from sabbatical better, stronger, and healthier. And what does that mean? Like, what kind of hard work? What kind of... Heartwork, do you have to do? So, with that in mind, um, mm. let's plan on going there. But let's back up one step before that, and and let's talk about flat irons because I think a lot of people have heard of or, or know of flat irons, but don't really know a lot about flat irons. So, how long have you been leading there? And give mm. us some highs and lows of the season of, of your leadership over the last uh, you know nearly two decades.
0: Yeah. So, uh, I, I was in youth ministry for twenty two years. Uh, Back in Kentucky and Tennessee mainly, and then uh, uh, I came on board with Mike Bro at Southland uh, and was his uh, one of his executive teaching pastors there for for a few years. And then I got Mike left and went to Willow. And about a year after that, he he text uh, contacted me and said, "Hey, there's this church in in uh, Colorado called Flatirons. and I'm like what is a flat iron, all right? It's like, it's a stake or it's uh, something. And so there's a little mountain range right just on outside of Boulder, overlooks Boulder called the Flatirons Mountains. And that's what this uh, area is called. Um, Mm -hmm. And so he said, can I give him your name? And so, yeah, I came out here. And it was in 2005 uh, when I came out here. And when Robin and I walked in, it was meeting in what's now a hardware store. It used to be a feed store, but between that, it was just a strip mall uh that's where Flatirons met. Horrible sight lines, horrible technology held together with duct tape. When it rained, the water just you know, like I remember one of our first Christmases we had to send everybody to Taco Bell because our toilets clogged up. I mean it was a it was a mess. But there was a buzz here. Hmm. There's this, this almost palpable buzz here about a, a church that cared about lost and broken people, uh, for people that no other church would ever accept. And the fact that it was in Boulder County, uh, which is a pretty far left, pretty, pretty liberal county. It takes a lot of pride in it too. The fact that there was a church that was, that was really, really making a difference uh, in lost and broken people's lives. It's just a miracle. I remember when Robin and I left uh, from our visit here, we said, if we don't take the job, let's move here and go to that church. Because it was just like, the DNA of this place is lost and broken people. And so I I came here and started in 2006. Um, We had about 2,000 people, uh, 2,300 people my first Sunday, I remember that, uh, in multiple services. Uh, It was a pretty young church, um, pretty young staff. uh, uh, They loved Jesus and loved lost and broken people, but there was no leadership structure. There was no, uh, there was just really no organization. It was a really, really great little community. And then over the next, uh, 10 years, it went from 2000 to, to 20,000 and it was a ride. Um, mm. people, we breaking out walls, we were putting up speakers outside because people wouldn't fit in. It was a traffic nightmare and we loved it. It was, it was absolutely, we were always, if not, if we build it, they will come. It was, their coming. We got to build something more. And so then, uh, we moved across the street. We renovated a Walmart and a grocery store and that was our, uh, our campus until we started planning campuses a, a few years ago. Um, that's a ride. And uh, I had a great teaching pastor with me the whole time, Scott Nickel, who's back at Southland in Kentucky. Great guy. We were a great, great, great team. Uh, and uh, then about five years ago, Scott really felt a call to go lead somewhere else. And uh, about that time, the world started changing and uh, growth started plateauing. And uh, this is all, this all makes sense in the rearview mirror. In the moment, none of it makes sense. Um, I've done a lot of counseling over the last couple of years, as you can imagine. Like, I think I've built a wing on my counselor's house. I mean, a lot of counseling. <laughs> but uh, uh, Harv Powers, uh, and I highly recommend him. He's a great sabbatical coach. And I can give you that information at the end. Yeah. But uh, he wrote a book called The Dark Side of Leadership. And in that, uh, the dark side of leadership is that this is what was going on in my head. Everybody has hitched their wagon to the 22 to 25% growth per year guy. And now it's not happening. What's wrong with me? This is what I think everybody's thinking. We hitched our wagon to you. You were the rocket ship. And now the rocket is flat. And I'm looking in the mirror going, oh no, oh no. And then I started to operate out of a panic. And uh, one of my campus pastors, uh, I was talking to him during sabbatical and he says, hey, Jim, I think when Scott left, and this is not a statement on Scott, this is a statement on me. Uh, you threw the whole place on your back and said, I got this and it crushed you. And so if I could look back at that year leading up to sabbatical, Mm -hmm. it was operating in isolation, in a panic. Uh, and then I'm, I'm the kind of guy that most of my emotions, sadness, fear, whatever that they all come out as anger, (laughs) you know, and that's a whole nother therapy session. But, uh, so I kind of got the reputation of being a buzzsaw and and really unhealthy. It was like, hey, you guys, I got us here. Just do what I tell you to do. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a part of me was like, and while there's some truth in that, um, it's a really, really unhealthy place to operate because uh, people are like, que- anytime people question one of my ideas or uh, a thought or a song or a special or a lighting cue, if anybody questioned me, they just got, All of this pin up energies that coming at them and uh, people really became afraid of me. And so I didn't really like them very much. And so I isolated and withdrew further and further away from the staff. And, uh, I was preaching fine, you know, preaching did not wear me out. And I think I can speak for most preachers out there. Preaching is not the hard job of leading a church, right? It's all the other stuff. It's all the, the, the leadership, the organizational leadership, the management, the, the relational part of it that's so, so important. And I was just like, I don't, I don't have the energy for that because I was operating out of that panic. And um, yeah, it, 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 it became a really, really unhealthy place that until I went on sabbatical and everybody kind of st- stepped back and looked at from top to bottom it's just the way it was. But once we, once we took a step back, which is what sabbatical helps us do, all right? Mm-hmm. Everybody take a breath, step back. And uh, I mean, how we did it was horrible, but the need for it was definitely there. Uh, but when we look back uh, about two weeks into sabbatical, and we can talk about how that came about, uh, when the elders started t- you know, talking to staff, when we got Harv Powers, an outside consultant, a counselor to come in, this thing is broken from lead pastor to facilities and everything in between. The, the the governance of our, well, we didn't have a governance structure. Um, the elders didn't know their role in my life. I didn't know my responsibility or my role in their life. Um, there was a lot of dysfunction between me and my lead team, uh, between mm-hmm. me and my executive pastor. We were not on the same page. And uh, and all that came to a head uh, two Memorial Days ago. That's Memorial Day, will, a day that will live in infamy for me. So, I uh, we did a staff survey, and just for the record, I know that there, there's some necessity for anonymous staff surveys. Yes, but <laughs> I I hate anonymous surveys. Um, I do see the need for them for safety, but there's also a lot of I feel like there's some cowardice in there too, and even mm-hmm. some uh, if you don't have to actually own up to. It doesn't feel biblical in certain aspects, all right? There needs to be, um, and I can give an argument on the other side of this too. There there needs to be a biblical, you know, uh, confrontation. uh, But there also has to be a system set up for that to happen that's safe. And there's also, and this is what leaders have to understand, there's an an equity of power, you know? Mm -hmm. And so a person five tiers down is not going to come to lead pastor and say, I have a problem with you because this boat will be on the street. At least that's what she or he thinks. Right? So there has to be some, a better way. And I really haven't found too many people who have discovered it yet, but feet, a feedback loop. We've built a lot of those in since sabbatical and we'll get to that. But um, we were really, really unhealthy. And a few weeks ago, I was talking to Jesse DeYoung, uh, my executive pastor, who is the best and anybody out there that recruits him, I I will just, I'll be a buzzsaw again. <laughs> but no, Jesse's made it really possible for me to come back. But we were sitting in my office and I said, you know, looking back, it was a two-year anniversary, I said, what did I do so wrong? You know, like, can you put your finger on an event that says, this is why we put it? And he thought for a minute and he said, and this is a great leadership lesson. I don't know if it's fair or not, but it's just true. Uh, the leadership lesson is, It all happened on your watch. And not everything is my fault, but it is my responsibility. And that's what I wasn't paying attention to. Um, I'd kind of, I just didn't want to confront it. And it it was my responsibility as a leader to shepherd this staff well. And I didn't do that well.
1: One of the things I want to visit that I heard you say, uh, I wrote down, this isn't your words, so I want to run this by you and get your thoughts on It was, I think, it's easy to get the adrenaline hit and the self-worth from performance, right? It's a performance oh, yeah. idol, right? So, hey, things Absolutely. are growing, things are happening. This all looks good, therefore I'm good. It's a very shallow uh, thing, but it's it's very easy. It happens very naturally as humans, especially for most uh, you know Enneagram threes and eights, which a lot of mega church lead pastors are. So we're tying our self-worth to achievements, very superficial, Um, the performance, um, look, I want a trophy. Aren't I awesome? Put the trophy on my shelf. And I'm saying that, and I've got trophies on my shelf standing (laughs) on the bookshelf right behind me. I wasn't going to call that out, but yeah, yeah. uh, So, uh, but then you, you said right on the heels of that, you said, what was taxing to you? What was stressful? What was causing anxiety was the management side of things. Mm -hmm. So, um, can you help me connect the dots? I guess this is pre-sabbatical between those types of things.
0: Yeah, so what I know I do well is I, I teach well. So that didn't change. So that couldn't be the problem. Therefore, everything else had to be the problem, and that wasn't me. So they made me mad. So so they became my targets. And here's what I mean by that: um, when I when I went on sabbatical, so I got a, an email uh, from my XP on uh, the, the the Sunday night before Memorial Day, or what uh, year? Memorial. Uh, two years ago, I got it. So Memorial Day, I got, I was at the cabin with my wife. I got an email saying, here's the results of the survey. Um, I've had them for a couple of weeks, but I didn't know what to do with them. <laughs> they were that bad. And they were, they were pretty, pretty traumatic. 20 minutes later, I get an email from our chairman of our elders saying, we'd like to meet with you in your office tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. Okay. So I walk into my office at eight o'clock and by eight I'm on sabbatical and, uh, for exhaustion, for unhealth uh, uh, for, for a lot of things that I couldn't even hear in that moment. It, mm-hmm. it was like that show Intervention where all the elders walked in, my lead team walked in in single file. They had letters in their hand and they were ready to put me on a plane to a, to a counseling center. And I'm like, take a breath. They, they sent Robin and I to one of my best friends, James Henderson is a missionary down in Mexico city. That was on a Tuesday. On Thursday, we were on a plane to Mexico city. And I, I just curled up in a ball at his house for a few days that's a whole other great story, but my my sabbatical was six months long. And the the cool thing about this that I, I I did not hear for the first two months. Um is every time I sat down with my leaders, they said they always said, This is so that you can come back. So the purpose was not moving me towards the door. The purpose it felt punitive, but it wasn't. It felt punitive though. But if I think if most of us look back at the most meaningful parts of our life, they sucked in the moment, right? But then we get some distance between us and that traumatic event. And we did it as bad as you can. We really, really could. We could write a book on how not to put someone on sabbatical, but God, God used it in great ways. So the whole thing was like, this is so that you can come back. Uh, about about a week into it, one of my elders was sitting over in my living room because I, I was I was told not to come to the office, not to be on social media, not to watch Flatirons, not to attend Flatirons, not to contact staff. Uh, they shut down my Facebook, they shut down my Instagram, they shut down my Twitter, they shut down everything and changed my passwords, and which I absolutely lost it. You know, I was I was I threw tantrums. I mean, I was I was crazy. So they also fired one of my best friends uh, a week after I was on sabbatical. And so my elders over at the chairman of the elders is over at the house and we're talking. And he says, Why does why does that matter to you so much? And he's I said, because I lead flat irons. And he said, You don't right now. And I'm like, I couldn't breathe. Like I couldn't breathe. So I, uh, during the sabbatical, I have a little place up in the mountains and I'd been to Scotland a couple of year before, and I saw those dry stack walls that have been there for like, thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, I, I need a project. I cannot sit here and just pout for the next six months. All right. So I started building a dry stack wall. It's about a hundred yards long. I lost count at 6,000 rocks. The first I, I've third seen of it, it. Yeah. 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 So I'm really proud of it, uh, because it's, it's an Ebenezer. It's a memorial. The first third of that is, is built in bitterness. I mean, I am rehearsing. When I get back, I'm gonna walk in that and throw throw that door and to pack your bags. And you know, I I had all these things. And I was like, I had a I had a hit list, I had a I had all this is what I'm gonna say, this is what I'm gonna do, the first third. That was kind of my descent down Hmm. off of this panic life. When this is what every leader knows. When you when you eat, breathe, sleep, think about ministry. You can get lost in it, and you don't know where you start or where you stop and your family really is not going to complain too much because they're competing with Jesus right so it's like I've never had an affair with a with a with a person I have had an affair with my job all right she's a sweet mistress and tells me I'm great you know mm. and Robin's not going to complain too much because it's Jesus right um, until until she does but anyway the the middle third of that sabbatical, that's when I really started doing work with my counselor and, and looking at what was really going on. And then that, that last two months it was about grace, asking for and, and, and receiving and giving, uh, giving grace and then re-entering. I remember, I remember sitting up doing, because every every week I would FaceTime uh, my friend James down and kind of my spiritual director too, and I said, I don't know how much I got left in me. And he goes, we'll still talk about that. And I said, I feel like I'm in a long, dark tunnel. And when I I look down the tunnel, every once in a while I see a light. And I think, this is it. We're going to get through this. But it's just one more freight train just going to hit me and run me over again. So now I just look down the tunnel. and All I see is just more tunnel. And so James says, well, what do you think God wants to teach you? Why do you think he's keeping you in that tunnel? I'm like, ah, don't, don't ask me that. Because I knew the answer. And it was... Uh, my, my three big learnings, and I remember sitting, oh, gosh. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I, I remember sitting on my couch at the cabin, and I knew what God wanted to teach me in that tunnel. It was, flatness is not your identity. You're not in control. And the only thing that matters is me and Jesus and me and Robin. Those are my big takeaways. Um, I stomped my foot and told, told God, give me back my church. And he told me, it's not your church, it's my church. And control is an illusion. And uh, when you try to control everything, like when everything goes great in a church, who gets all the credit and praise? God, right? When things go bad in a church, who gets all the blame? Not God, right? I do. Because I have personalized it going, this is my church. And it all rises and falls on me. And so my big aha moments in sabbatical is this isn't my identity. My my identity, my value, my worth is not nickels and noses. I mean, I hope our church grows. (laughs) But I come back from sabbatical and two months later, COVID hits, right? It's like, so numbers aren't going to be the thing I'm going to measure my value, right? Because we didn't even meet for a year. I didn't go to church for a year and a half. All right, So sabbatical and then COVID, it's like, I understand why people like their weekends. <laughs> Mountains are cool. But uh, so it's not my church. It can't be my identity. And then once, once I realized that control is an illusion, then I could begin to trust other people. And I, we re-entry coming back from sabbatical, there was no trust. There was no, I didn't trust them. They didn't trust me. And things began to out themselves. And, um, we, when I went on sabbatical, I think our church was a hundred, our staff was like 170 people. And then during COVID, we did a, we did a voluntary layoff where we gave people great severance. But we didn't, we didn't need all that, but also knew as a time, like the church is going to be different from now on. So if you feel like your time of like, Ministry is done. Let us give you a generous severance, and then you can move on, and find something else. Mm-hmm. And then we started rehiring people, but we only have—I think Jesse told me—we only have fifty people left on staff that were pre-sabbatical. Um, so when I when we talk about sabbatical with our staff, the majority of our staff wasn't here for it. Our elders have a rotational uh, uh, like cadence now. Uh, as of December, none of my elders, current elders went through sabbatical with me. Uh, it's a whole new crew. Now they, they were in the reentry part with me, which you got to witness. That was some of that, some of that got kind of hairy, but, but necessary because there's mm-hmm. such clarity, such great, great, great communication. But I know this, I'm about five years away from retirement. Um, that's, that's my choice. Uh, it may go four, it may go six and, and, uh, I, everybody's going, how do you think you'll do when you're done at Flatirons? And I'm like, if you would have asked me this three years ago, it's like, I, I would have been threatened by the question. And now I know it's me and Robin and Jesus and whatever's on the other side of that, we're going to, we're going to be okay. I want to, I want to be involved with Flatirons after if whatever's helpful to is when I'm not the lead pastor anymore, because I love this place, but it's not my life. It's not my identity. I want it to thrive. I want to leave a good legacy there. Uh, but, um, yeah, I'm not in control. It's not my church. And the bottom line, I better be investing in Jesus and Robin because they're going to be with me when I'm no longer lead pastor at Flatirons. So those those were aha moments in the woods on sabbatical that when I came back, handing over control, that was a learning process. I didn't know how to do that very well. Um, But... I have surrounded myself with really good leaders that don't do everything the way I would do it, but we get to a better place, which I never thought was possible because the risk was too great. If, if it didn't end up there, does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I, the control thing's really striking a chord with me. And there's so much to unpack already in the conversation. Um, but you know, I just spent actually this week, some time with my counselor and talking a lot about control. And he said, uh, it's actually the page prior in my notes. So it was like within a day or two. Um, and he said in here, uh, trying to control things you don't actually have control of will result in the most pain and suffering in your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so we spent a lot of time talking about that just this week. Um, and so I also have think a few, you have a
0: few of those in your life. Is that what I'm I, picking up yeah, on? Yeah, for
1: sure. For sure. <laughs> um, and I, I also think it's true that if you um, don't ever let people control things around you, like your team, then sooner or later you'll be left with a team of people who don't ever want to control anything, right? So they they don't ever want to put their hand on the wheel and influence things and make things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning they don't have that spark, they don't have that drive. Because there's, I think, control is is um, too much is bad, and too little is is bad. They're, they're that middle of, of healthy influence and and saying, hey, I actually should control this part of this because I've got the experience and the talent and people around me are looking to me for that. I think those things can be healthy. So that's what probably makes control so hard is it's not a black and white thing. There's a lot of gray around what's the right amount. Um, so how has that changed? Because I know. I think I know some of the answers. If you weren't here and I was being asked that question about you and your team, I would have some answers because I've sat in a lot of elders meetings and I've sat in a lot of conversations with Jesse and some Mm -hmm. others on your team. And I've witnessed a lot of things that I think are um, so far different and advanced and healthier from what you're describing pre-sabbatical So let me turn the the question over to you. So you said, uh, Flatirons is not my life. And when you say that, there's peace in that. You say, Flatirons is not my church. Flatirons is not my identity. And there's peace in those statements. Um, So when you're able to say that with peace, and you're able to approach control by surrendering it and giving it away in many, many instances, it's not abdication, um, decision-making and all that sort of stuff. Um, how were you able to do that? What were the essential ingredients? Was it just a matter of having the right people? Um, or what other things kind of had to happen for you to come back and, uh, be begin doing that. It wasn't a, a switch. Didn't flip on sabbatical where you came back day one and were great at those things, but you've been no. back a few years now and you've been able to get pretty darn good at those things. What had to happen?
0: Yeah. This is, wow. That's a lot there. Um, one is I think the reality is when you come back from a situation like that, every day you feel like you're on trial, right? Everybody's just going to go, wait. You're just waiting for people to put a finger in your chest and go, see, you're no different. And oh, wow. that's, that's just true. That's just human beings. Right. And, and like, I, I rem- so I remember I came back in December in time to go to the, the Christmas party and, and I was going to give a little speech at the Christmas party. The whole staff was there and their spouses and we, so we we rented out this restaurant in, in downtown Denver and we walk in, we're there about 20 minutes and Robin fights migraines and she got, she got ambushed by a migraine. And she said, Jim, I got to get out of here. I'm like, wh- what? And she goes, Jim, I'm a puke. I need to, I, I need, I said, do you want to go outside for a minute? He goes, I need to go home. And so I, I went to our XP and went, Hey, here's my situation. I, my, Robin's sick and I've got to get her home. And he, I said, can you give the speech? And he was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so that was on a Friday. On Monday, we we're having a meeting and I was told, that cost you. I'm like, what, what do you mean it cost me? He goes, well, you know, that you left the Christmas party. And so I, I looked at him and went, okay, I have chosen church wrongly over my family so many times. If, if one time I wrongly chose my family over church, I'm fine. And I'm like, and then they, then they kind of realized this, this is a different guy, right? Mm-hmm. He really is saying like Jesus and Robin are more important than his job. So they're going to get right, the attention. And so, but, but right there is like, see, I'm on trial. You're asking, you're questioning everything. And so that was a learning process for everybody uh, on both sides. Some of the people that were here when I got back realized that, hey, i my time here is done. So there had to be, uh, most of them were self-selecting, uh, moved on because they could not get past. There, there's a certain level in, in the same counseling world, there's a certain level of uh, anger or distrust or dissatisfaction that you don't come back from. And those people mostly self-selected out, including a couple of my, uh, one of my, Executive leaders, all right, mm-hmm. and that that needed to happen. And then I was able to write, raise up a, a couple great leaders, Jesse being one of those. And we looked at each other and said, "I said, Jesse, gosh, this is really tender. Still, I didn't realize it was. You know, it was like I said, Jesse, um, I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make a choice. I'm gonna I'm gonna trust you. But I said, but if you screw me over, I don't have another one left in me." And that was kind of a cry fest, you know? And so we kind of put hands in the middle and go, all right, we're going to do this together. And if, if we fail, we're just, we're right, this is it. So it's like burn the bridges, let's just go. So Jesse and I had to have that. We had to have that conversation. Are we going to trust mm-hmm. each other? Are we going to work? Are we going to be honest with each other? Are we, we're in, Jesse and I, my ex, we're in, we scheduled three couples counseling with a counselor, the two of us together. Just to make sure that we're communicating well, that we're on the same page, that we're, we're not missing something. Like, it's like being married, right? Yeah. Sometimes you need to go to counseling, not because you're breaking up, but because like, are we, are we, are we missing something here? Are we communicating? I wasn't even aware of that. Mm-hmm. And so Jesse and I made a, 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 a decision to stay in really good contact. The other thing is that I've made a decision. The way we did our governance is I, the, the elders are over me all right? And then I'm over Jesse. Jesse's over lead team and lead team's over staff. And we, we stay there. I have the right as lead pastor to go tell facilities to do something, to go tell kids ministry to do something, to go, to go change songs, you know, during the, whatever that is. And I have made a decision that, um, that needs to be really, 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 really rare, right? Uh, I didn't say never, <laughs> you notice that. It's because there's sometimes when you're going, hey, I, I, I got to make the hard call there, which you can do if it's if, if you do that one out of 20 times or one out of 50 times, you, nobody questions it. If you do it 19 out of 20 times, everybody shuts down, mm-hmm. right? And so I trust Jesse to lead our lead, our lead team. And then I, I'm involved with our lead team on the big things, vision, direction, uh, big, big, big decisions, But I've gotten out of the minutiae. Um, uh, worship team and lead pastor. That's, that's a tough, that's a tough one. I, I know why what God did with his first worship leader, cast him out of heaven. If you just read the Bible, but that's because we're both really creative. I'm a creative teacher. Our worship leaders are very creative. We both feel called by God with our messages. And sometimes if we're not on the same page and we're not communicating it, artists fight, right? And, it, and it's, not, it's not pretty. We're all fighting for the same thing, right? Now I trust my worship team, right? Now when I go like, hey, here's how I'm landing my talk. Do you think we could change this song? Because I don't do that every week or last minute, they're like, yeah. But I'm also listening to them when they go like, we have an idea, right? Right? And uh, like, we, we do a run-through on Thursdays. This was unheard of before. We do a run-through. We do our whole service on a Thursday afternoon. And when they heard me teach, they, they're the ones that said, our last song doesn't work. Are you open to us changing to this other song? And I'm like, well, that would be great. Is this going to cost me? Like, did I just pull, right? And they're like, no, 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 no. But that's, that's the eggshells that we were, we were walking on mm-hmm. is like, we're trying but I think it's really, really naive to think that it's easy to come back from that type of level of conflict. It's hard. It's hard work. But everybody has to be committed to it, and everybody has to like be honest about it—the hard parts about it, the good parts about it—and um, and, and that has to be di- both directions, right? Yeah. They have to they have to be honest with me, and I have to be honest with them but we will dip our toe in the water to see if it's going to bite first. And yeah. then the the more reps you get, the better it gets.
1: Yeah. I think that is important. There's a lot of pressure on leaders um, to operate within these systems, these structures, and with these people. And I think that pressure can wear, um, especially in transitions, like, mm. okay, well, this is the team you're inheriting. Lead with this team. Um, and I do think it's important to say, okay, that's, that's great. I don't want to come in and upset the apple cart, but at some point you also have to be able to have the conversation if that doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then empower the people around you to be able to go, what doesn't work for you? Right. Yeah. What doesn't work for them? You know, um, like you said, um, I need the freedom to be able to edit how we're doing some of the aspects of our, uh, you know, creative download for services yeah. but it doesn't have to be
0: every week. Right. right. I, I think um, it's also, and this was maybe my, in my mind, it made sense. So I assumed in everybody else's mind, they knew what was going on in my mind. And that's not true. You you have, I had to sit down, like I, I had a lot of people going like, what's the vision? What's the vision? I'm like, "I've, the, we talk about the vision all the time. All right. I had to sit down and go, here's the vision. It's this, 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 this. And like light, light bulbs came on, like it's new information to them because for some of them, and you it felt was. like you were already a broken record. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but it's like, I, I made the assumption that everybody understands what I'm thinking. And then when they didn't, I would get frustrated and then they would get frustrated and it just communication sucked around here. And I, I don't know if communication is ever great in an organization. It's so much better that we're, we're talking and we're getting feedback. At the end of it, we're going, did we accomplish what we wanted? What are you hoping for? And, and the other thing is I'm a last minute guy. I've had mm-hmm. to discipline myself to go out of respect and honor for those people that have to build all these systems around this talk. They can't do that on a Thursday before I give it on a Sunday. So like I, I've had to back up and go like, out of honoring them, and honor is a big word around here now. Mm-hmm. We didn't have an honor culture. Um we honor up, we honor down, and you know Paul's writes in Romans, the only thing you should be competitive in is trying to honor one another and so uh our culture, our staff cultures changed there's no meetings after meetings there's no there's no talking behind well to best as I know there's no you know bickering behind people's backs um, we are human beings, but when we when we recognize it we shut it down or we confront it but um we have we had to get better at saying and communicating what we're thinking as opposed to people, assuming people just know what, what we're thinking because it's frustrating to everybody. But because I'm the leader, I can always, you know, play the card and we'll do it anyway. And then everybody, and that's what it was before. Now I feel like there's much more team dynamics. I hated the word Collaborative. That was like the yeah. buzzword for so many years. Collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. Collaboration didn't get us here. I got us here, right? That's a really unhealthy mindset, okay? Um, because when when you're the only person giving opinions in the room and, and creative in the room, all the creativity shuts down and they just look at you. So it is, all the pressure is on your back. But the, the truth and the reality is that we have to humble ourselves as leaders and go like, I, I have to have some confidence. When I walk up those six steps, turn right and face cameras and thousands of people, I'm I have some confidence in my level of giftedness and, and my ideas, right? But I have to be humble enough to go like, I have to throw my idea out there so it can lead to a better idea and it might not be mine. And when I do that, and when we do that, the whole place gets better. And so I'm not, I don't have to be in control because well, God's in control, but, but now I've got a team of people around me that all want very similar things directionally and vision wise. And that's fun.
1: That's great. Specifically, lead pastor, executive pastor, advice. Like you don't have to be best friends. So, how nope. do you facilitate a great working relationship? Um, any any highlights there, or any wisdom there? Things you feel like you're you're getting right now?
0: Yeah, um, I, I I hit the jackpot with Jesse. Um, I've known Jesse since he was six. I baptized him in ninth grade on a spring break trip when I was his youth pastor. Then we, we kind of. Separated for a while, and then I brought him out here to be a, uh, a teaching campus pastor. And, but he's really, really geared for administration and leadership, and he's just a guru at that. And so when our last executive pastor left, uh, Jesse was on our lead team. It, everybody, everybody on the lead team just saw the leadership in Jesse and went, I, We all figured one day we would work for him, which is really, really what a great compliment. But to, <laughs> I think that the most important thing with Jesse and I or lead Mm -hmm. pastor and executive pastor is zero competition, right? Knowing that when the other one is not in the room, the other one is representing you. Like I know that when Jesse's leading a meeting and somebody questions me or our decision, Jesse has my back. Now Jesse may come in here in my, in my office and go like, Hey buddy, listen, here's the scoop. Here's the feeling. Here's the vibe. But when he leaves, that, leaves my office, um, the loyalty there, like loyalty is a really big thing. And he knows the same thing back in his direction. If somebody were to come to me with a, a, a question about Jesse or, or, or want to do something different, I, I would point them back to Jesse. So there's, there's a lot of trust. There's a lot of communication. Like I meet with Jesse more than anybody else on my staff. Um, mm-hmm. but, but then like I was up at the cabin the other day and Jesse and came up just to hang out with the cabin with me. Cause I'm on break right now. And he started telling me about some of the things like, so this person's leaving staff and this person's leaving staff. And, and I'm like, okay, all right I didn't, not, and they're leaving staff. They didn't get fired. Um, there's they're leaving staff and I was like, okay, all right, you got it. You got it. You got it. So, uh, there's, there's. When I can, I can go. So when I got back from the sabbatical, one of the things is they wanted to build in is a lot of uh, margin in my life. And so like I work off site, like on Monday, so I'm out, right? And I and I'm, by Tuesday my sermon is usually done. Wednesday I belong to the staff. I'm in meetings all day. Thursday I belong to the staff and we do a run through. And then I'm gone. And then Friday and Saturday are my weekend. And uh, and then they they built in. I'm on a six week break every summer for vacation and for study. I'm on the middle of that right now. Uh, and, but Jesse will come up and and we'll hang, but we won't talk shop as much. He'll just go, Hey, here's the kind of vibe. Here's the health. Here's some big things that are happening. Looking forward to you coming back, see you in July. And, uh, the, 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 the idea that I can be away because most of the time when I would leave on vacation, I would come back to a crap show. Mm -hmm. Like what needs to be fixed? You know, I went fishing in Alaska, uh, right after my sabbatical as, the summer after my sabbatical, and I came back and I found out staff layoffs had happened, this had happened, and I'm like, I walked into a, I mean, it was just horrible. That doesn't happen anymore because the communication is there, the trust is there, um, the feedback is there, the communication is there. Um, I've, got, I've got the best XP and the best lead team that I could ever, ever pray for, hope for. That's
1: amazing. I think it's great. And I'm connecting dots back to something you said earlier. You talked about there was this mutual commitment, you know, trust even I'm just thinking about sports teams, you know, the players sign a contract with the team. Everybody knows we're in it for this season. Like we're not going to go three quarters of the way through the season and be a contender in the playoffs and then lose three of our players. Um, we're in it Are you throwing that in because we
0: just won the Stanley Cup? Is that why why you brought that up?
1: No, I'm throwing that in because the Golden State Warriors just won. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, go Avs. I'm a Colorado native, so... All right. But no, seriously, this... I do think that's an essential ingredient for trust is some level of commitment. And you described a conversation that you and Jesse had about a commitment. And the other thing I love that you said is you talked about loyalty because loyalty has been demonized and people have said loyalty is not required. And Jesus didn't require it of his disciples and all this other stuff. And it's just like, no, we've got to define that better. Personal loyalty at all costs, regardless of legality and ethics and morals Is bad, yeah, but healthy personal loyalty to somebody, to a team, to a cause, to a ministry within the right bounds of morals and ethics and and theology and all those things absolutely, that is a necessary ingredient in trust, and I think Mm -hmm. it was good that you named that comfortably because I feel like it's just been. In social media and other things, it's been like this thing that, oh, we can demonize a pastor because they required loyalty. And that can be, oh, that's always unhealthy. I mm-hmm. think outside certain boundaries, it's absolutely unhealthy. Inside certain boundaries, I think it's an essential ingredient for trust. Right.
0: And some of the men's work we do, uh, so you can take the word loyalty. We, we we make agreements with each other and then we can point to the agreement. It's like you violated the agreement. You didn't violate me. We We made an agreement that we wouldn't, talk behind each other's back. We made an agreement that we would communicate whenever we were frustrated. You made a and you didn't do that. And then you can point to the the agreement as opposed to putting a finger in my chest going, "Jim, you lied to me." It's like, right. "Hey, I thought we had an agreement." And so the loyalty is to the to the agreement, to the staff culture, to the to how we're going to behave and interact with one another. And then you can point to that and say like, "No, you broke you broke that." Yeah. And that affects us.
1: That's well said, because a lot of conflict comes from violating unwritten agreements. You thought I sure. agreed to something that I didn't know you thought I agreed to.
0: Absolutely. So it,
1: it puts the the onus back into communication. Are we communicating mm-hmm. effectively about what our expectations and agreements are, what our commitments are to each other, to the ministry, to the team?
0: There's a lot of so, parallels to that. So with good. Marriage with leadership, right? Because Rob and I have agreements. Some are spoken, some are unspoken. But When we violate them, though, they get called out. I thought like, wait, I didn't say that, but we hadn't, we did have an agreement. All right. And so you can point to that as, as, as well. And I think as, I think it's really important to articulate those, you know, it's like Jesse and I, we have articulated those, our lead team. We've articulated those. The number one thing that we, so we we're in a, the governance is we have ends and means, right? And so one of the ends that we will always measure, like how many people are coming to Christ and are people being reached and are people engaging and all, all the typical. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that we put on the thing that wants to be measured every year here at Flatirons is staff culture. Um, staff culture is as important at Flatirons as how many people are getting baptized, how many people are, are attending, how many new families we have. Uh, because we learn the hard way is staff culture is Rotten, even though the people sitting in the auditoriums, they don't they won't feel it immediately. When the infrastructure crumbles, everybody gets taken out, you know? So, like, if if I would have continued on that unhealthy trajectory and made some stupid mistake, right? Because I think most of the passages you see out there, and I didn't have a moral failure or a financial failure or a sexual failure or anything like that. But never say never, because when you're unhealthy, right? Nobody thinks they're going to make the decisions they're going to make. If Satan was really, really smart, let me get this church up 25,000, 30,000, and then let me blow up my life. And how many men do I take out? How many families do I take out then? All right. And they didn't see it coming, but the staff did. And so we, Hmm. staff culture is as important at Flatirons is how many people are coming to Christ, how many new families are attending, uh, how many kids are going to camp. Because if the infrastructure falls apart, all of that goes away.
1: I agree. So let's wrap up then. We've yep. got, we got There's so many great things we've talked about. Um, let's wrap up with just a simple, well, I don't know how simple. How do you measure staff culture? Because it's easy to measure attendance. It's easier to measure giving. These mm-hmm. are very quantitative things. What about qualitative things like staff culture? How are you able to do that?
0: Well, so we, we survey our staff both like, uh, anonymous and feedback loops. Uh, we have Mm -hmm. regular feedback loops. We have regular discussions. Uh, we have, uh, I have one of my lead team, uh, Karen Berge is part of her job description is staff culture. So there's a lot of conversations she orchestrates. There's a lot of, we, we play together really well now. Uh, uh, we, we brought back staff retreat. We realized how important things like that are that that is we do staff development days uh where we we carve out a day we took our whole staff um to uh the orange conference in in atlanta on uh, mm-hmm. two different airplanes I, that got cost so much money but there was such unity you know and most of the unity happened our hotel happened to have a fire pit out by the, mm-hmm. by the pool and it just turned into a, a party every night where you could like i'm, I'm sitting with the youth team and interns, and they're like, our are our lead pastors, you know, having a drink with the interns that were over 21, uh, yeah. like, like, yeah, it's just it's just it's just fellowship. So we, we try to create a lot of those opportunities just to be with each other, mm. um, to to share vision, to share learnings, to share frustrations. Um we've gotten, you know, this really when you have a young staff, um they're very social minded, right? Social justice minded. And everything, everything is a battle, you know? Um, the, the school shooting brought up a whole bunch of stuff. The, 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 the race brought up a whole bunch of stuff. The gender has brought up a whole bunch of stuff. The abortion stuff brought up a whole lot of stuff. And not know, everybody knows how to talk about that well, right? And so there's been a lot of coaching. And what I have to get better at is coaching and not correcting, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like rather than going, why did you say that? I try to change it to help me understand, right? Uh, Because they're coming from a perspective, but our culture here is now, I care about what you think and care about what you're saying, but help me understand this over here. So we're trying to listen to each other. Well, create opportunities for that staff development days, uh, Time away together, uh, which gets really cumbersome and expensive, but it's more expensive if we're turning over 30% of our staff or, or losing key staff because of the unhealth. So we are intentionally yeah. going after spending time together.
1: Yeah. I applaud that uh, hugely. And the, tr- the true cost is a lot more than a conference ticket, an airplane ticket, a hotel, oh, yeah. rental car, and some food, because that's a lot of money for a big staff. <clears throat> yeah but add up the hourly wages of all those people over Mm -hmm. three, four days, um, Mm -hmm. the opportunity costs of what they would have needed to do if they were back. Um, and you, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars easily, right? Hundreds of thousands of dollars. and, there are so many churches, what we do in cohorts um, at the Ascent Leader is expensive. And mm-hmm. um, it's probably the highest price tag development thing that churches do when they engage with us. And um, I have conversations with people going, well, you know, really what we have is, is we have $350 budget for a conference. And we're hoping that they can go regionally so they can drive and not fly. And I usually pause and just go, how's that working for you? Yeah. And nobody's satisfied with how they're doing staff development, how they're doing, you know, teamness, teamwork. And so I'm like, then be willing to make some changes. So I absolutely applaud the significance of the money and and really I think the the paramount significance of the time. Carving the yeah. time out, doing the time together, that's a huge investment in those people. It's an investment in, in your team and your culture at Flatirons. But like you said, um, there's always a lot of transitions, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know very many people. I just listened to a video from Rick Warren. He's one of them, I guess, 43 years at one place. But most people transition. They go from here to there. They bring experiences with them. And we have to have the big C church mindset, right? You were yeah. at Southlands, right? Scott's yeah. back yeah. at Southland. Like there's, there's, there's that, all those things can build the church and relationships can stay intact if we invest in one another in the moment for what we need and know that those are going to be investments in other ministries.
0: I want my staff to move on uh, if, they're, if, they're, if God's calling them to the next thing, right? Because they've been prepared here, things like that. I don't want them to leave because most people don't leave church staffs well. They leave mm-hmm. angry and sad and hurt and broken and bitter. And that doesn't have to be right? You mm-hmm. need to celebrate when, somebody, when God calls somebody on. And I, I, I applaud you, Steve Carter, some other guys that are out there putting these cohorts together. Um, that's one of my dreams when I wrap this up is like, I just want to gather young, young leaders. I've, I've done it a couple of times up at the cabin. Mm-hmm. You know, what some people are saying, what, one-third of pastors are probably going to tap out in the next couple of years because it's lonely. And they all said, yeah. I'm, I'm lonely. I'm making it up as I go. It's coming out bad on my family. And I, they all felt good about their teaching. But teaching is not what's gonna gonna take us out of the game, all right? Unless you're mm-hmm. really heretic or something like that. But most of us are just gonna get tired and go like, you know what? People are making money in real estate right now. Maybe I'll just go do that. But uh, I think that that if I could, if I could, I mean, I'm part of a cohort up through Wheaton uh, with some great guys that I, I get to travel with and, and study with. Um, that's a new thing for me, um, and the, and the sabbatical brought it about because I spoke at a an XP conference about. Sabbatical, and then I was invited into that cohort, and it's been fantastic. I mean, absolutely fantastic. So if people are listening out, they're going, like, where would I start? Get some other guys outside of your church that understand what you carry. And it doesn't turn into like a gripe fest or something like that. It's just, it's just not a peeing contest, right? It's just getting together and going, I know, I feel like that too. I'm not alone. I thought I was the only one. And I have a feeling that's what happens in your, your cohorts a lot. It's so what happens in Steve's. It's what happens in you know Ed's up at Wheaton. All, all that is just people that understand and you realize you're not alone. And uh, yet, yeah, so I applaud you for uh, for having the vision to to uh, first of all do the course, but also come along, leaders like me, uh, mm-hmm. and say, hey, let me coach you through this. You're going to help coach me through you know succession. Uh, you you kind of you you came in. Um, this is turning into Sean Lovefest, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you came in at just the right time when I was still in the reentry back from, yeah. and you knew there was tension there, uh, as we were trying to build trust. And then you got to witness that trust developing and, and re- really, really, really securing. So, um, yeah, I think the guys out there that are really tired, um, mm-hmm. that I, here's the, I wish I had moment, right? I wish I had networked with some other pastors, but I didn't. And I, I could call it, well, nobody understands my life, or Flatters is not like any other church, or something like that. You could you could call it arrogance, whatever that is. It was, it was insecurity. If I get out there and I rub shoulders with people like me, it'll reveal that I'm not what I hope I am. And when you find the right group of leaders to hang with. And I'm not talking about, like, I, I just got invited to go down to uh, Cabo to 40, the largest churches in America. It was led by Andy Stanley and Craig Rochelle. And and I remember sitting in my room going, There is a day when I would have cut off a, a body part to, to be in that room with those guys. And it's like, no, nah. like Robin, and I skipped a session just to go watch whales together because mm. it's me, Jesus and Robin, right? And I'm not in it for prestige. I'm not in it to hang and rub shoulders with the big dogs or anything like that. Nothing wrong with those dogs, by the way, but I... I'm in it for the fellowship and the camaraderie and the encouragement that, that I get, but also I can give to, to some other people and we all need that. Otherwise, we're just going to get tired. That's
1: incredible. How can people best track with you online?
0: Oh yeah. So, um, well, I, I'm just getting ready to launch in my, my new website, uh, jimbergen.com. Uh, we are hosting our first, I'm hosting my first men's retreat, August 26th, 27th, 28th. It's open to any man in the world. Uh we rented out a big young life camp up in the mountains. Uh it's called Rocky Mountain Men's Summit. Uh so that's going to be launching. Uh great. Matt Chandler's going to come teach with me. Uh Rourke Denver used to run Buds for his Navy SEAL's going to be there. Uh we're got some really, really great uh Brad Lominick's going to be there. Talk, it's going to be about leadership and about getting all the parts of our life together. So jimbergen.com also uh I have a rethink podcast uh that comes out every week. Uh that I just have conversations with men uh, mm-hmm. about life. And then dot uh, we're online here, uh, anytime, but also just feel free to reach out to me anytime, especially if something that we talked about today goes, could, could you and I talk about that? Uh, I'm, I'm out for a couple of weeks, but in August, I'll be back in the saddle. I would love to, love to talk to other leaders. I feel like, and my elders feel like this too. One of the responsibilities of coming through sabbatical, a rough one and coming back and, seeing God redeem it in such an amazing way is we have a responsibility of the kingdom to say, here's our story. Can we walk through this with you? And, mm-hmm. uh, and so please, if, if that strikes something in, in some, in a listener, please reach out to to me here at Flatirons and, uh, and, and we'll get a conversation scheduled as, as soon as possible.
1: Love it. We'll get the links to all of those uh, things in the show notes. This episode will release in July still. So it'll be ahead of the the gatherings that you've got that you mentioned mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, man, thank you for being on the show. I'm, sure. I'm a better leader because, uh, of your influence in my life. And so, uh, loved having you on here, being able Thanks. to share and enjoy, enjoy the time off that you're, that yeah. you're getting off this summer. I'm getting pray, ready to get God on a plane go it. to
0: Costa Rica with my wife. So I won't be Love? thinking of you at all. <laughs> <laughs> <Good>.
1: Please don't. <laughs> all, right. all right. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Thank you. you, Sean. All right. Bye. Love the rawness and realness that Jim brings to the conversation. I hope you're a better leader today from listening. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, would you please subscribe? Would you please post on social? Let your friends know. Let other leaders in ministry know that this podcast is helping you out. That would be an honor for us. And before I let you go, I want to point you to the ascentleader.org. Jim was kind enough to say some good things about what we do and We are so privileged to serve leaders across the country and even internationally now. The AscentLeader.org has cohorts for four different kinds of leaders, Uh, lead pastors in two different ways. We have church planner cohorts, we have transitions cohorts, we have executive pastor cohorts, and we have preaching cohorts for anybody who preaches the Word of God from the main stage. You can hit us up at TheAscentLeader.org. Thanks for listening. Wow. Leaders, thank you so much for tuning in. We are just blown away by all the things that you guys tell us that this is doing to grow you and develop you. And I'll tell you what, if you feel like this is growing you as a leader, as a person, as a pastor, we would be honored if not only would you continue to listen, but if you would subscribe, if you would get on social and say something so that the people you have influence over can see the ways that this is benefiting you and that they would check us out as well. That would mean the world to us. Thank you so much for listening.